All right, am I echoing a little bit? Can you take it down, take me down just a little bit? All right. John chapter three, uh, this is, uh, in this chapter, it's probably two passages of scripture that is probably the most well-known passages in the Bible. And uh, when we get there to read them, I think they'll come out to you because we hear, hear them quoted a lot of times uh, in context and out of context, but I think the one that we hear the most is, is, uh, is, is further on after this encounter with Nicodemus. And, uh, but I do believe that uh, you're gonna be blessed tonight by some of the things that we will learn from Jesus' encounter with uh, uh, Nicodemus as well as uh, John the Baptist's testimony uh, about Jesus. And so here in chapter three, uh, we find um, Jesus having an uh, evening interview, I guess you would call it, with Nicodemus. You know, and, uh, and, and, and you're gonna find out here that Nicodemus was a, a ruler of the Pharisees. He was a leader, uh, part of the, uh, what we, they would call the Sanhedrin Council. He, uh, and, 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 and he was of that sect. You know, when you think about the Sanhedrins, the, this was the, the part of the religious that was, that consisted of the, with the Pharisees for the most part in there. They were the very kind of strict religious folk. They was the self-righteous, legalistic bunch, you know, and so, uh, in fact, they were one, the ones who gave Jesus the most opposition. And so for this uh, Pharisee to come and have this evening uh, uh, interview with Jesus is kind of a, a odd event in and of itself, but, uh, but from this, we're gonna see that Jesus revealed some things to him uh, that he did not know. And so when we look at this in John chapter three, verse one, it says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now during this time, uh, the religious leaders in Israel had a lot of weight. I mean, they could, they could do a lot of things. In fact, you know, short of, of, of uh, establishing punishment for violating Roman law, the Romans allowed the Jews to uh, kind of worship in their own way, but at the same time, they allowed them to handle certain cases uh, that was less minor, well, that was minor cases, like little trivial things that they may argue about. They could settle those things amongst themselves. They just could not get into the, the political aspects of the Roman system, and they couldn't execute capital punishment. That's why uh, when it came to punish Jesus, they could not do that themselves, but they could encourage the Romans to do it because the Romans were the only one authorized to execute capital punishment. So the Pharisees was pretty powerful people, and for this Pharisee, Nicodemus, to, to come and seek out Jesus and have an encounter with him was a pretty uh, impressive thing. But, but I look at him as he may have been a secret admirer of Jesus. We're gonna see here that he, he liked some things he had seen and heard, and there's two thoughts out there as to why would he come by night, you know. Major, there's some that say, hey, he came by night all because he didn't want the rest of the boys to know he was hanging out with Jesus, you know. He, he probably would have been a slap in his face if the boys know that, hey, this is the guy we, we hating on, and now at night you're going to secretly go and check him out. Definitely couldn't check him out in the daytime. Okay, that's one thought. Then the other thought may be that, hey, maybe he respected Jesus because Jesus was very busy in the daytime doing what he would normally be doing. So figured he would come catch a session with him at night. Either way, the Bible lets us know that he came to see him after dark. So look at this. In, in verse 2 it says, after dark one evening, he came to speak 
with Jesus. And he said, Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Now, that's, that's a powerful point there. I want to stop real quick. Now, he make a statement, we all know, but from that I need for you to see that just because someone knows something don't mean they're going to do what they know. He, he said, we all know that God sent you to teach us. Well, if they knew that, they should have been sitting under his teaching. But most of these same people that were fighting against him were people who say that they knew who he was supposed to be. And he's knowing that God came, sent him to teach them. And so Nicodemus looked like he's saying something, but his actions and that group actions don't line up with what he's saying. That now, and again, that's no different when people in the world today. There are a lot of people who know what's right, but don't necessarily mean they're going to do what's right. There are a lot of people who know uh, what the word of God say, but it don't necessarily mean everybody's going to embrace what the word of God say. So he says, now, God sent you to teach us. And then he says, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And so it, it looked like he was, as well as so many others, was impressed by the signs and the miracles that Jesus did, more so than the teaching that he was trying to get through to them. And, and, and it's no different today. People can be moved by what they can see from the standpoint of a miraculous act, more so than they can be about what you're trying to teach them to get them in into their heart to live by. And so obviously he knew Jesus was doing great works and he attributed that great work to God and that God was working through him and that was evidence that God was with him. And then now, and, and Mike, did you want to say something before I move on? Yes. Mike, hold the mic to you. Oh, yeah. oh, yes, yeah. thank you. So thank the people online can hear you. We yes, can hear thank you. Here. I was saying when you compromise the truth when you're a leader, you may know the truth, but you might go under pressure if you tell the truth because you have so many of your followers that doesn't believe the, the truth. So I think one of the things that he, he didn't, first of all, he, he came by night because he didn't want to be seen in one reason. In some statement they tell you because he was form of darkness, so there was darkness in him, whatever the case was, like you said. But it's because he was, he didn't want the people to see him as a leader, as a religious leader. Amen. Okay. And, and you know, he, he says, as you mentioned, he called Jesus rabbi. Then he says, we all know. That means me and my group. We, we know. We know that you, that God has sent you to teach us. But like you said, Mike, because they knew it, it don't mean they were going to accept it. And, and so, therefore, the Old Testament had 
prophesied about Jesus coming as the Messiah. But the problem was, these guys did not see him as the Messiah. Some believed because they were looking for someone who was going to deliver them from the Romans, more so than someone who was going to save them from their sins. So he says, now, we know that God sent you to teach us. Now, why is it that today, do you think God's people want to be taught today? Do you know the people do? People rather, what you think, you know, just think about it. When people come to church on Sunday, do they come to have a good time and, and, and just shout and that's all? Or do you think people come to church to be taught? Or, 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 or can they get both? You know, because, you know, sometimes it, it appears that teaching drive folk away from church. Because sometimes on Sunday, when you're teaching something, they can think it's boring. And, and we didn't come to church to be taught something. We want to feel something. And, and, and sometimes feeling is good, too. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, you want to feel the Lord moving. You want to experience something. But, man, it, along with your feelings, you ought to want to be taught something, too. Major, go ahead. I, I, I believe sometimes, you know, yeah, we do want to be taught, but I think sometimes uh, being taught the truth is a reflection of what you're not doing sometimes. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. I mean. <laughs> so so if, if the truth is a mirror and it's showing you yourself, right. you said, hey, I didn't come to church to see me this week. I, I don't want the God to show, look at me like that. So therefore, let's just speak to my, 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 my needs of, to right. feel good. Right. So te speak to my felt needs. And that's good. Sometimes, you know, we need to speak to your felt needs. You know, it, 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 it makes us feel good to say, now I can feel the Lord moving in here. You know, when, I, when you use language like that, you know, people start feeling stuff. They start, yeah, he moving. Now I'm ready to do something because I can feel something. And feelings is about an experience. And experiences are good. But once the experience die down, you still got to be taught something. You got to know what you experience. That was used to frustrate me when I was a kid going to church. We had a good time in church. I mean, we, I mean, we, we, we tore it up every Sunday. I mean, we, we literally, you know, you knew how it was going to play out at the end of the sermon. You already knew what it was going to be like. You knew where you was going. You knew you was going to get a little Moses, you know, at the Red Sea. You knew you were going to get Daniel in the lion's den. And you definitely were going to get the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. And then you're going to end up with Jesus on the cross. You knew that. At the end of every sermon, you knew that. And the, and the musician's going to have it tuned up, and we're going to tear the place up off the same thing. But then now, when you walk out of the church, somebody asks you, well, what did y'all learn today? Man, we had a good time, man. We tore the house up, man. We, we shouted. We had a good time. But, but what did you learn? A lot of times, when I was younger, I wasn't going to church to learn nothing. I was going to church to feel something. And so, therefore, I could go into a service that where the word had been taught thoroughly and walk out and say, man, I ain't getting nothing out of that today. Because I ain't feel nothing. He didn't speak to my felt needs. He, you know, he was trying to get some knowledge in me. I didn't come down for knowledge. I came out to feel something. And I think you got to have a combination. You ought to feel something when you come to church, but at the same time, you ought to learn something too. Amen? Pastor. Brother Fred? I think a lot of times we go to fulfill a square. You know, we... we we say we're Christians, so that is expected of us to go to church on Sunday. You know, I mean, if we're going to say we're Christian, whether we go to get anything or not, it's just where we're supposed to be on a Sunday. 
But ask Brother Herb, then, then come at me, Brother Mike. There was, a, uh, there was a book called uh, Not a Fan, and, he, and the way he explains to me uh, in his book is that it goes with, uh, um, are you a fan or are you a follower? And, and he pretty much gets an example to a point where, you know, once again, uh, you look at, at a, football a football team, I mean, you're a fan, you like everything that goes along with that, and, but you're not doing anything. You, you have no part of on the field. And so being a fan, in a sense, is that you like everything that's, that, 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 that gives to you, like he says, you know, or it's nice being into uh, in, in the house of the Lord. You're having a good time and everything with it, but are you a follower? And the father said, you got to pick up your cross. And, and picking up your cross, that means that you need to be studied and being discipled as follow his way. And to a point where, um, so you either, the question is, is you a fan or you a follower? Amen. And so I think a lot of people that come to church is just a follower. And that's what you get, not too much picking up the cross and doing what what's required to do. So you're saying the ones who just come to church are fans? Just a fan. Just a fan. They okay, like yeah. Everything that they, yeah. You know, the, what, the, the, what, what the church gives to you, you know, to a point where even to a point where, uh, you know, you come and listen to the word. I mean, praise team or wherever. I mean, that's you know, and then you come up, then you leave talking about we had church. We had church, but then. Then it comes to a point where it says, when you ask for worship, and what is worship? That, to me, what his definition to me was, you're giving all, and you're sacrificing yourself. And a lot of don't go that far into the point where, when you worship to a point where you're God, you're pretty much just a fan. Okay, and, and, and again, in a broader context, I think, you know, a lot of things that we do for the Lord can be put into that arena of worship, you know, talking about what he's worth to us and the acts of kindness that we do can all be acts of worship to God. But I agree with what Brother Herbert said, that the difference between the experience and then, which is good, but then now once the experience is over, what am I going to do once I go outside the door? Am, am I going to carry that same energy, that same fire, that same zeal that I had in here, out there, or does it all end when the game is over? You know, when the game is over, and going, coming back to say, you know, I, I, even your analogy about being a fan and a follower. Well, you know, fans, there are some fans that are just home fans, but there are some fanatics, fans, that follow their teams all over the country. Everywhere they go, their fans go. And, and so I think that there are those fans will be at that next level, what I would call followers now. They're willing to make the sacrifice to travel wherever this team takes me, I'm going to go. And so if we look at that from a standpoint of a relationship with Jesus, then the, the analogy will be wherever he leads me, I'm going. I'm willing to make the necessary sacrifices because he told me to pick up my cross and follow him, and I know that with that it's going to require some 
challenges, going to require some good times, some bad times, some suffering. So therefore, it's, go, it's more to this than the experience on Sunday. But the experience on Sunday is important because that's the time we come together, fellowship around the word. But after the word is done, after the game is over in here, then now we got to play it in life outside the church. And I think a lot of times that's sometimes where, where, where we can all fall short is how we play the game once we leave the church. So now, after he had this conversation, and you know, Nicodemus was praising Jesus for who he was, uh, and as a teacher and his miraculous sign, Jesus replied in verse 3, he says, I tell you the truth. Now, the truth, you know, at the beginning of John, back in chapter 1, Jesus says, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and, and, and the word became flesh and dwelt among men. Then later on, it talks about, you know, uh, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So now Jesus being, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. So now he says, I can tell you the truth. And, and we said that him coming in the flesh was to reveal God to us. And so if we want to know how God would operate and how his kingdom operate, we need to know the truth. And if we know Jesus, then that gives us a good idea of who God is and how he operates and how he does things. So Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again. Now, when I was in the Baptist church, man, we were whatever that was right there. That was, that was it. You know, you must be born again. I mean, I mean, and you know, coming up, we ain't had no idea what they were talking about. But every Sunday, but now that I'm older, I understand. But I was like Nicodemus. When I heard them say in the church, I'm thinking natural. What are they talking about? Nobody, nobody took the time to break it down like we should so to get a, a good, clear picture because I was going to church and, and Nicodemus was an educated man. And when Jesus tell him, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now you think talking to a scholar in the, in the religious law, that shouldn't have went over his head. But again, Nicodemus was where most of us would be Hey, man, he said born again. Well, I know how I was born the first time. You know, I know I was born in the natural, and I know how that takes place. I got that. So Nicodemus respond based upon what he understand from what, how he was born the first time. Okay? You can see that in his answer. Look, he says, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So he didn't understand the spiritual side of what Jesus was asking. Even though he was standing there with a teacher, he understood it in the natural, and he determined in his mind, hey, this man, this guy's telling me to do something impossible. I'm an old man, and I know how I was born the first time I came out the womb, and now he's saying if I got to be born again, how am I going to go back into my mother's womb? You would have thought that, Major, I, I think even... You're not a religious leader, but I think that you would have scratched your head and say, Jesus can't mean that. I don't even think I would ask Jesus. I would say, I know he ain't talking about it. I got to go back to my mama's womb. I wouldn't have been bold enough to say, man, are you talking about me going back in my mama's womb? I would have just said, you know, I would have probably just said, well, just tell me what you mean. I wouldn't say, you mean I'm an old man, I got to go back in my mama's womb? Like, you're talking to the rabbi, you don't call him rabbi, gave him credit for being a great teacher, and then now you're acting like, okay, is he... Missing it that much that he's going to tell me I got to go back 
into my mama's womb in order to be born again. Now, let me say this. You don't have to be too smart in the natural. No, that ain't never happened before. You don't need a college degree. You done lived all these years. You ain't never seen that reversed. So even in a skeptical mind, you would say, man, he can't be talking about that. So he's got to be talking about something else because I ain't never seen that. Now, I know he worked miracles, but I ain't never seen that. And so now Jesus come and kind of, you know, guide him in the right direction because he let him know that he should have got that. You know, he, he let him know he should have got that. He says, he says, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the... Now, that's another part of this that's kind of looked at in two different lights. Now, some people think water, they're being born of the water, is alluding to water baptism. And if that's the analogy people want to accept with that, that's fine too. I, I, I'm not saying right or wrong, okay? And then of the spirit. So it makes logical sense. You feel like, okay, you got to be born out of the water because we do symbolize you dying and you're coming up, being born again, being regenerated, water. And then now the spirit of God coming on the inside of you and you'll be one of the spirit. Okay, that, that's all right too. That's the way you see that, understand that. Ain't no argument there. But some think that, hey, Jesus was talking because he had just got through referencing the womb up above. The context had to be talking about physical birth. He said, because there's a whole lot of water centered around physical birth. And that's kind of how you know things didn't start happening when the water breaks. You know, y'all don't see it on TV. You know, everything doing all right, and all of a sudden, 2 o'clock, and oh, my water done broke. Something happened. Time to get some things in action. So you could either make that analogy too. That's a water experience. So say, been born in the natural, and then now you're going to have to be born in the spirit, which is going to be something entirely different from what was taking place, had taken place in the, in the natural. Y'all following that so far? Any comments before I read? Brother Herb, go ahead. When, uh, like you said, for Nicodemus is pretty much has wisdom, has understanding wisdom with, with the earthly wisdom. But then uh, when it's prophesied in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 11, 2, where it prophesies that Jesus, we, you know, the spirit would rest upon him and he has wisdom. Now, Jesus seemed like when Jesus came to the, came to the scene, he talked in spiritual things, was the first to me, it seemed like this was the first time they had encountered somebody speaking in wisdom. And they didn't understand wisdom. And as you can see from Nicodemus, they did not understand about the spirit. He's talking spiritually. And with spiritual wisdom and understanding that these uh, Pharisees or Nicodemus did not understand that. To me, he said, now God, Jesus is speaking on the spirit spiritual wisdom, but what, so a lot of them did not understand that. And so that's what's being introduced to me, seemed like that's what's happening. So a lot of the things that Jesus was speaking is spiritual, because Amen. that's who he was. That's what was prophesied, that he will be full of wisdom of the spirit. Amen. A lot of them didn't, didn't understand that. Amen. So, so when we look at this, now let's go back and read that again. So without being born of the water and the 
spirit. Spirits are here talking about, you know, that when we were created, God breathed his spirit into us. When he, in Adam, breath. Sin came in, and then now, even though we are spiritual beings in a physical body, something died in us when Adam sinned. And so therefore, what was dead now has to be reborn. Some Bibles, or some scholars call this regeneration. You, you, your, your, your dead spirit now is being brought back to life and you're being regenerated. And this happens when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord. And say, Romans talk about the minute you accept Christ, the spirit of God comes with him. And so now Jesus said here is that, look, you know, you got to be born of the water and the spirit. There are a lot of things, like Brother Herbert saying, that God revealed to us through his spirit. And sometimes when you're reading God's word, you can't read it in your, with your natural mind because sometimes the Bible don't make sense to your natural mind. It will confound your natural mind sometimes. And so therefore you have to say, okay, God, I don't understand this in the natural, but I'm going to receive it in the spirit because I believe your word is true. I ain't got to try to figure out how you're going to make it happen, but because I believe it's true, I'm going to receive it in my spirit, and then I'm going to act like this, act like it's true. But if I can't receive truth, then I'm not going to act on truth. So we got to understand that sometimes faith requires us to accept God's word when we don't fully understand. Because now we understand that there's a spiritual relationship that is being reformed and reborn in us, and that spirit got to catch up. You know, because it's been dormant in us for so long, and we have so much natural knowledge, worldly knowledge, all inside, and then now God is playing catch up with us. And sometimes when our heart is hard, we don't allow the word of God to penetrate deep down. That's why Jesus gave the parable of the seed falling on different type of ground. You know, sometimes it falls on hard ground and it never takes root. The birds come and pluck it up, just like on Sunday. Sometimes the word can come. You catch it for a brief minute. You shout in church on Sunday. You feel good. But by the time you walk out the door, the bird, poof, you, you ain't got nothing. You don't forget everything you shouted about. Because you just got happy, but you ain't let the word take root. So the word got to kind of take root. And then the, the other analogy gives like, hey, you get the word, take a little root, but you go and plant yourself with some thorns. And then they start, you go back to more friends that you don't need to be around, and they choke the word right out of you. Amen. So a lot of things that got to come into play when we want to get God's word down in our spirit so it can take root and we can grow in the spirit to the fullness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Brother Mike, I saw your hand, I'm sorry. Yes, Pastor. Um, what I was saying is, I want to say, is Nicodemus had never heard anything divine as to what he's hearing from Jesus. He had always taught the law and um, everything was written on tablet of stone. And so they were going by the law and that's all he knew. So it's foreign to him, like we, you and I, uh, Gentiles who come to Christ, we understand, we knew the process, we heard of it before, and so it is very easy for us to understand what Jesus was saying. I think Nicodemus was more or less curious as to the question Jesus was asking him, not that he 
he, admit, he, he appeared to be simple, but knowing that he heard about Jesus and he came and they were um, saying so many things about him and he wants to know what Jesus was all about so he could go back and tell the rest of the Jews. And so with this question Jesus asked him, he probably wants to play it so he can understand when he goes and explains what Jesus is saying because all he knew was the law and all the prophets spoke about the law. Nobody had never spoke about the spirit of God coming to abide in you and live in you forever because the Holy Spirit in those days was coming upon the believer and living the believer. It was not abiding in the believer until, yeah. until Jesus came in where it can abide. So it was foreign to him in the questions that he was asking. Yeah. And, and, and another thing, too, when you read Nicodemus and you see how him and, 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 and I think it was Joseph or Amethyst or the ones who came and got Jesus' body, it, it was still, you know, it was like Nicodemus kind of living a double life. I don't believe he went back and broadcast to the boys, hey, look here, I'm, you know, I done jumped on this guy's train now, and I'm following him. I think when he got around them Pharisees, he was afraid to acknowledge that he knew Jesus like as the Messiah. I, I don't think he was there yet. He was curious, like you're saying, but to the point that he could go back and then witness to those other guys, that didn't come after Jesus' death when he went and him and Joseph and Amethyst went and got his body. And so, and so, but the thing that we ought to give Nicodemus credit for is seeking and following, you know, following his curiosity, you know, because by doing so, he was able to come into a knowledge of who Jesus was and establish a relationship with Jesus. Because that's what, what our salvation is really about. It's about a relationship. And so when we look at this, in, in, in verse 6, he says, uh, humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit give birth to spiritual life. So therefore, it's important for us to realize we must be born of the Spirit. Your, your spirit got to be regenerated because if not, the Bible is never going to speak to you at the level that God wants to speak to you. Amen. It, it, we can get head knowledge from a, on a whole lot of things, but just because we have head knowledge about something don't mean that we have a knowledge of that deep down in our spirit so that we can live it out. And so what he's saying here is that, look, at some point in time, you got to re rem remember and realize that the spiritual part of you is just as important as the natural part of you. Your spirit man, your, that inner being in you, because if you don't feed it, the water that's going to go on on the inside of you all your life, you're going to find out that you're going to lose more battles with you than you're going to win because your spirit is fighting at a disadvantage. And, and so, so we said, now, we got to be born of the spirit. And then he looked at it, he says, in verse 7, talking about this, he says the statement, so don't be surprised when I say, you must be... So he said, Nicodemus, don't be surprised now that I tell you that you got to be born again, now that you, that you understand that, hey, you won't, you won't be surprised when you understand I am not talking about physical birth. So don't be surprised when I say it. Now, he, Jesus come now and he used an illustration to try to, you know, and this is what I like about illustration, you know. You can use illustration to teach stuff, stuff to smart folks. You know, he, 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 this guy was well learned. He could have just went and tried to go back to Isaiah and one of those scrap passage scripture there. 
But he said, let me, let me just use a, a, a natural illustration here and see if you need to get this spirit thing. Because he may be having a problem understanding this spirit thing. So he, he connects it to something that we can all understand. Because when I tell you that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, well, unless you go in the Greek and look up the word spirit and see the word pneuma to know that we, where we get the word pneumatic from. And when I tell most of you, say, you done heard of the term, uh, a pneumatic tube? Well, you put this thing in a little tube and some acid, and it's gone. You don't see what caused that. You can't see it. But you can see the effects of something. And so what he's trying to get Nicodemus to see here, if the spirit, he compares it to the wind. And he is letting him know, the brother Herb, when we go outside, we cannot see the wind. But we can see the effects of the wind. And we can feel the effect. Some of y'all that came out this morning? <laughs> this morning, this morning, last, yesterday, whenever. You didn't see what was <laughs> causing you all that problem, some problem, but you felt it. You can go out and look at a flagpole on a, on a pole and see it blowing all kinds of ways. You don't see what's causing it, but you see the effects of it. So you know it's something there, but you can't see it. And that's how you kind of see. When you understand God is a spirit, you know it's something, and you can feel the effects of it, and you can see the effects because it should change your life. When our lives started changing, People don't understand that there's an invisible force behind it that's causing us to change. And so this is what he's trying to get Nicodemus to see when he says here. He says, don't be surprised when I say that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the, you know, it's hard. I can't explain it, Major, but I ought to be able to see it. I can't explain how Major got born again. I can't wrap my mind around it. But if I look at his life long enough, I ought to be able to say, man, I can see the effects of the spirit living on the inside of him. I can see how he conducts himself, how he carries himself, how he acts, how the, the things he say and don't say and things he do and don't do. I can see the effect of something that is taking place on the inside, even though I can't see what is taking place on the inside. I can't see that. But I can see the effects of it. Brother Fred. <clears throat> Pastor, this kind of explains because here he says, born of the spirit, he doesn't mention the water. But do, do this kind of explain that we can tell about the born of the water because of the mother's water that breaks versus he never mentioned born of the spirit, water, spirit here. He just mentioned born of the spirit. So in other words, do we know the water has something to do with your birth, first birth? But this, this, now the spirit got something to do with your second birth. Because unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, in other words, unless you live first uh, uh, physically and then you'll be born spiritually, which makes you acceptable to Christ. Amen, amen. And, and again, like I say, this, this passage of scripture has caused a lot of uh, discussion because the extreme view of this is that that spirit 
that water piece is talking about baptism. And if that is the case, if you limit it to that water baptism, then you're painting yourself in a corner where you say unless a person is born of the water baptism, they can never be saved. If you paint it to that, and there's some people who do paint it to that, that you've got to get water baptized in order to finish off your salvation experience. But that, that wouldn't explain the thief on the cross, because he never got water baptized. Exactly. Right. And, and I agree with that. I, and, and, and I agree with the fact that I believe we, we, we get initiated into God's family by accepting Jesus Christ, and, and water baptism is just an outward expression of that. But I don't believe that your salvation is going to be connected to whether or not you get baptized physically in water. You ought to want to because most Christian churches hold baptism and communion as two of their key components of the, of the uh, worship experience. However, there are some churches that go to an extreme on that and say, when Herb gives his life to Christ on Sunday, we ain't leaving here to Herb get baptized. We're going to go fill the pool up right now we ain't going to take a chance that next month on second Sunday, Herb going to be around. Just in case he walk out the door and get hit by a car, his baptism, his salvation ain't secure until we get him to the water. Now, I, if that's what you believe, I ain't got no problem with that. But I'm going to always default back to the thief on the cross because Jesus should have told him, you know, you can't get with me in paradise, Doc. You're going to have to get off this cross and go find you some water. Then, then you can come on to paradise. But he said today, and I know we can argue, well, where's paradise? Well, if Jesus is there, I don't care what you call it. Paradise, heaven, whatever you want to call it. As long as he's there and I'm with him, no matter. So those are the type of things that religious organizations fight about. And because of that, that's why we have some churches believe in this, some churches believe in that, but we all say we believe in Jesus Christ. Just because how we interpret this passage of scripture right here and how, you, how they see it. And I don't I'm like this. I don't want to debate things that ain't got nothing to do with somebody's salvation because I don't believe that God will send you to hell just because Pastor Bowden didn't get a chance to baptize you on second Sunday. When you stand up and confess that you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and he see your heart and he know that in your heart you're making that confession, I don't, I don't think he's going to put your whole salvation on the fact that I'm going to have a baptism pool ready for you on that day. But if that's why if I was brought up in a system like that, then I would know that. So that would be standard operating procedure. If I was in that particular type of church, and I know, hey, you give your life to Christ on Sunday, we're going to baptize you right now. Okay. No argument here. I don't, I'm, I'm, that's not a, and that's why I say sometimes we, we major on things that really ain't got nothing to do with someone's relationship with the Lord, because you can find if, if that argument is there, I'm going to stand on the thief on the cross, but you want to stand on this passage of scripture, then we just agree to disagree and let God sort it out. Because, you know, people much smarter than me don't agree on this passage of scripture. So, you know, we can go back and forth and you say this, I'll say that, and we'll leave it at that and let God say, hey, y'all was down there swatting at gnats when y'all should have been looking at all them camels that, that, that's messing up the church and y'all arguing over this this ain't the issue that, that's keeping people from coming to heaven. There's other things that's more important. But anyway, let me read on. Go ahead, Brother Herb, before I, before I go. One of the things that, like I mentioned before, um, 
Let me read um, Isaiah chapter 2. It says, it says, and the spirit of God rests on him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and the might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of God. So one of the things that John the Baptist understood, he says when he baptized Jesus, he says the spirit rests upon him. I saw the, the spirit fell upon him. And he's also down the road, he says, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the spirit. And so I'm saying to a point where I mentioned before that in order, uh, at this point, for people, Jesus is saying, the spirit is in me. The, the spirit of God is in me. We are one. And the spirit to a point where, the, uh, as he's talking to, presenting to Nicodemus, we do not have the spirit. And that's why you say you have to be born again with the spirit. And all of us, you know, being able to walk, when we walk, like you said, if, if you can't, you know, we have to be born again with the, with the Holy Spirit that Jesus opened up for us to, be, to have. So to have an understanding where he's presenting himself that here I am, I have the spirit of God in me, and I'm speaking with wisdom with God to you that you cannot see. So I'm presenting myself that he is real because he's in me. And so uh, that's the point I just wanted to, to address is that he was full with the spirit to be able to teach the people about the spirit of God. Amen. It needs to take, to, you know, be, to be baptized and as you give an administration, as you can see, when you're talking about the wind, because we cannot see it. Amen. Letting you know the spirit, that God's spirit you can't see is in me. I'm revealing, I'm revealing to you. So the kingdom, the kingdom of God is here. I'm showing it to you. So. Okay. And so when we read on, we'll see, look at this. Now, I think he's going to come back and talk about that relationship a little bit later when we get there. Look at this way he says this. In verse 9 says, how are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? Verse 11, I assure you, we, now that's another controversial piece right here, what he says, we tell you what we know and have seen. Well, we know he's talking about himself because we know he come from heaven. We're going to say that later. But some believe that the we there is talking about him defining his relationship with the Father. And some equate that to him coming in agreement with what Brother Heard just said with the prophets. Part of that we. Again, he don't clearly say I'm talking about Isaiah or others. But he says we tell you what we know and have seen. And yet you won't believe our testimony. So again... I'm more inclined to believe he's talking about his testimony with him and the spirit and the father all working in unison. But if someone say, no, he's talking about the testimony of the prophets, that's okay too. But whatever it is, the key thing we got to see here, he says, you've heard it, but you have seen it, but you don't believe it. And what I need for you to understand, man, one of the greatest things that we can do is live a life of unbelief. 
Because if you don't believe, man, it's going to be it's going to be impossible for you to accept Jesus Christ. Man, if you if you can't believe this gospel, unbelief is going to keep a whole lot of people from establishing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have to believe some things that we have not seen. And that's why our faith come into play at when it's talking about what we believe. And we already have been conditioned. You have been conditioned to believe things you have not physically seen. History do that all the time. And we will accept a historical record and talk about it as if it's true. And we know Columbus didn't discover America. We know it. But someone told us that in the fifth grade. Columbus discovered America in 1492. And we run around, yeah. We don't even ask the question. How do you discover something where folk are already here? And he didn't even get up here. He was down in Hispaniola somewhere down there. But they put it in our books and we read it. The history. I asked people, you know, I would say, you know, George Washington cut down an apple tree. No, you didn't. Y'all was arguing me all the way. How you, who told you it was a cherry tree? This is my story. I said it was an apple tree, a pear tree. You ain't see it, so my story is just as good as whoever told you that. But because you believe in something someone else already told you, you speak about that and argue like you were right there with George. And you weren't even there. But then when I say Jesus died on the cross, you won't argue that. Well, uh, that. Because you're like Nicodemus. You can't wrap your mind around that. But you can wrap your mind around George Washington crossing the Delaware, cutting down a cherry tree. That makes sense to your natural man, and you ain't even see it. But when I talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you can't wrap your mind around that in the natural. So therefore, it's hard for people who come to church to accept that. And so therefore, because they can't accept it and believe it, they don't defend it. And you're going to have to be able to defend the hope that you believe in. He said, he says, they won't believe our testimonies, yet you won't believe our testimony. Look at this. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about the heavenly things? Man, if you can't understand when I'm talking to you in the, in the earthly thing, when I start talking to you about the things that I've seen in heaven, that I'm here to earth, on earth to reveal to you, you're going to have a hard time talking about receiving that. And so that's why I said that, that, that some of the things that we read in this Bible is not naturally discerned, it is spiritually discerned. We have to receive it in our spirit, even though it may go against our intellect. Walking on water, go against our intellect. Because we ain't seen nobody do it. But is it possible? Because the Bible says he did it. I got to act like I believe it's possible. I got I to act like I believe it's possible. Even though I know that, hey, in my 70 years, I ain't never seen nobody else do it again. But because the Bible records it, I have to stand on that as truth. Whether in the natural, I can wrap my mind around it or not. Because if not, 
then I'm going to always be debating God because if I can't believe water, walking on water, I'm definitely not going to buy in the beginning. The earth was dark and without form, and God said, let there be, bam, and light filled up. Because it's easy for me to b- believe the Big Bang, to believe two big supernovas ran into each other, bam, and all of a sudden these little creatures started floating around out there, and all of a sudden we popped up. Boop. Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But how come God couldn't just say, let there be, and there was? Yes, um. Scripture tells us that um, we cannot understand before natural man. It is not meant to understand because of your intellect. It is because of the spirit that makes you understand. That's why when the uh, professors teaching in colleges and universities are not able to explain the word of God, because it's not meant to be explained by your intellect. It's the spirit of God that is in you, that abides in you, that helps you to understand. Because the things of God is through the spirit. And it's only through the spirit you're going to know God. All interpretation, everything else. Not because you are educated. Your education cannot take you anywhere in the word of God to understand the word of God. Because it's not meant. The Bible tells us that. So if you try to learn it through because you think you're smart, or because you have gone to school, it is yes to, to have an education. But that just doesn't take you in the word of God to understand the word. It's through the spirit. That's why when the spirit of God comes in you, it abides you with the believer. And the Bible says forever. And it, and it helps you. It helps you to see the faith. Teach you all things. Amen. Bring all things to your remembrance. Amen. So it's, it's through the Spirit of God that you can understand the Word of God. It was meant to be understood because of the intellect. Okay. So now, now look, let me read on. Let me, let me read 13 through 15 because now Jesus go back and use another Old Testament example to kind of tie himself to uh, how he fit into our eternal salvation. He says, now verse 13, he says, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Then he says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So now he's saying, hey, look, the people were cutting the food in the wilderness, sending all kinds of waves. And because of that, God got upset with them, and he sent serpents among them and started biting them, and people died. And so when the people got to the point they wanted to repent, tell God they were sorry, he said, okay, I'm going to take that same symbol of what, you know, is biting you. Moses, you make a bronze one, put it on a stick, and then you put the stick up in the air, and everybody who look up at the stick will live. Those who think they don't have to look up, they're going to die. And so Jesus said, now look, and, I, and those of you in the medical field, that's where y'all little symbol come from, the little snake wrapped around this little pole. Yeah, they got that from the Bible. You know, they just for straight out the Bible. Amen. They thought they were smart. No, they didn't. They went to God's word and got their symbol. I ain't, I ain't mad at them. But they ought to know this where it comes from. The pole, little snakes wrapped around it, looking at each other. That's y'all little symbol. Now you go back and say, oh, okay, you thought some great doctor, you know, of medicine did that. Yeah, he read the Bible. And ain't nothing wrong with that. A lot of symbols that we see in the world that they come out of the Bible. Okay. 
Amen. People just don't give God credit for them, but they come from the Bible. So now Jesus was saying, now look, just like, and y'all got it, this is kind of what, what really is deep to me, Brother Herb, the same thing that was biting them and killing them, God used as a mechanism to save them. But Jesus said, now look, in this analogy, when I be lifted up, I'm going to draw all men unto me. And so we got to tell people that they got to look up to live. And when we're not looking up at a serpent now, we're looking up at the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins. And so that's what he was trying to get him to see. He was taking him back to an Old Testament experience and, 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 and connecting that. And you can find that in Numbers chapter 21. I don't have time to go back there and read it for you. But he was just using that to make this connection with Nicodemus because Nicodemus probably will understand that Old Testament because he spent a whole lot of time in the Old Testament reading this type stuff. And so he probably locked on that real quick. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. And so look at this. He says, this is the second verse that everybody know. Y'all done heard this and quoted this. And, and we, we done heard this so many different ways, man. You just say John 3.16, folk just start talking. Folk don't even know, know Jesus. Start talking. I see folks at, 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 at basketball, football games with the John 3.16 sitting there. They don't even have to say John no more. They just say 3.16. The whole world about to know this from now. But just because the whole world know it don't necessarily mean that they believe that Jesus is the solution to their problem. Now look at this. He says in 16, but God loved the world so much. And some of you about we used to remember I said, but God so loved the world. But God so loved the world so much that he gave his only one and only son so that everyone, somebody say everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish but, but have eternal life. So Jesus didn't die for some folk. He died for everybody. Everybody have an opportunity to have access to the tree of life. Everybody has the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He didn't come for this class of people, that class of people. It don't make no difference. He died for all mankind. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So therefore, anybody in the world is worth being saved. And that's why as Christians who are already saved, we can't look down on folk who Jesus died for. Amen. Sometimes once we get saved, we think the salvation door closed. And, and we forget that we got to go back and find that person. Because, you know, if we were honest with ourselves, most of us had a before Jesus life. Some of us were better than others. You know, all of us wasn't real low down. But we were low down. You know, some of us were real low down. But we were all low down. Amen. Y'all need to say amen. Some of us were real serious sinners. And some of them just sin. Amen. Before Jesus, we just, but we all, the Bible said all have sin. So, so once we understand that, then once God delivers us from something, we won't look down on other folk. And that's what happens sometime in the church when the Lord delivers us and brings us to a point, then we forget where we came from and we can't relate to people who are still trying to come out of what we were in. Your testimony, don't ever throw away who you were before the Lord. If you've been, I mean, you're free now and you're no longer that person, telling somebody else about that person shouldn't cause you to go back in the shop and go back to be that person. 
Amen. So you, so you look at your deliverance experience as an opportunity to say, hey, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. If he took it from me, if you really want to get rid of it, he can get rid of it. You can get rid of it too. It's just a matter of do you want to bring your will in agreement with what his will is for your life. And so now look at this, because he says, now look, in verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. We should not put ourselves in the seat of judgment. Like we're, we don't have a heaven or hell to put anybody else in. That's God's call. We're going to be surprised. Some folks are going to get saved just like the thief on the cross. You, you may get, the Lord let us see. We're going to see some folks in heaven that we thought, sure, that I, I just thought, sure, you went the other way. <laughs> but, but that ain't your call. Major. And see, we got to stop trying to figure out where folk going. We just need to live for our life to the fullest and let God sort us out. That's why, you know, in the Bible, Jesus teaches these little parable that we ought to learn from. He says, now, don't try to separate the wheat from the tare. You know, let them grow together. Because if I try to pluck up Major, who's a good stalk of wheat, there's going to be some tare in there with him, and I may destroy Major trying to pull him out of that. You just live right before the world and let God and the angels sort the world out. And when people say they want to give them their life to the Lord, then we ought to be celebrating right there with them because we all came at different stages, different times in our lives. Go ahead, Major. I'm sorry. Did, did, so did uh, Nicodemus was a, was a Jew. Did, so he's, he might have thought that, okay, uh, I'm from Abraham's loins, so I'm going to get in anyway. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get to heaven anyway, so why would I have to be reborn again? It's a possibility, again, it's a possibility that based upon the rap, you know, how the rabbis taught and what they believed that because that they was Abraham's seed, they automatically had a pass. And so therefore, the thing was, they all still believed that a Messiah was coming. They believed that somebody was coming. It's just that the fact that when Jesus came, they did not see him as right. that one. They, they were looking for another figure. They were looking for someone. You know, when you're oppressed, man, you're looking for somebody who's going to come get these Romans off me. I, I mean, I'm looking for somebody to come and take Caesar down and whoever's running Rome right now. That's who I'm looking for. This dude coming riding here on a little donkey, that ain't the guy. That can't be the guy we're looking for. They were looking for a political leader when Jesus would come and say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned about your soul, your eternal life, not your physical life. And so because of that, a lot of them did not see him in his true light, even though they had been taught about him and was expecting him. And like Brother Herb read what Isaiah said, you know, when he prophesied about Jesus and Joel and so many other uh, prophets talked about the Messiah coming. Verse 18, let me read this on so I can get on. He says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. So if you believe in him, God is not going to condemn you. But anyone who does not believe in him, that's why I told you earlier, your belief system is going to determine how you're going to be judged. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing God's one and only son. Now that's tough, man, when you read that. That's, that passage of scripture right there is almost as tough as when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me. 
Man, if he really meant that, if that's really true, there are a lot of people who never going to accept him as the way. They just see him as another prophet, another great leader, but they don't see him as the way. That's why a lot of people say that. I believe there's many ways to get to heaven. And it makes sense to the natural mind. I show you this mountaintop, a pyramid shape, and I show you that's God up there at the top of the mountain. And you say, yes, yes, we all believe that there's a God sitting at the top of the mountain. But I say, but there are many trails that lead up to the top of the mountain. So you may be on this trail over here that's Hinduism. You may be on this trail that's Judaism. You may be on this trail that's Islam. You may be on this trail that's Christianity. We all going up to the same top. But do your trail lead through Jesus? That's the question. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And so that passage of scripture that is a deal breaker. Because I know it makes sense. And I see, I see a lot of special famous people. They, that mountain analogy makes a lot of sense, man. As long as we don't have to talk about Jesus, we just talk about trails, and we all going up to the same God, man, we get one big kumbaya. But the minute you mention Jesus, he's a deal breaker. That's why a lot of times people who sing gospel, they sing around him. Because if I call his name in my music, I'm going to immediately cut my audience down. Because some people ain't going to buy this song if they hear the name. But if I just talk about him in, in a generic sense, I'm in love with him. Who is him? And I know people going by him and hate him and days and all this today, but he got a name. Him got a name. Amen. And so what I'm trying to say here is that God said that he was his only son. That's right. And that he is the way back to him. He sent him and those who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He said, now look, let me read this verse 19, Brother Mike, and then 19 Twitter, and then I'll let you in. He says, and the judgment, and the judgment is based upon this fact. God's light came into the world. You can almost read that as like God's light, well, that's Jesus, came into the world. But the people love darkness more than they love Jesus. For their actions were evil. And all who do practice evil hate the light. I mean, you know, darkness and light don't get along. So all who do evil, talking about practicing now, they talk about people who make a mistake every now and then. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. Light exposes things. Light reveals things. Light makes things that is normally hid become visible to you when light is shining on it. And so when people were not receiving him as the light, then now they're going to refuse all his teaching because his teaching is going to reveal to them what God expects of them. And if I don't want to live in accord with what God expects, then I'm going to turn off the light. I saw a hand, Brother Mike. Go ahead. Um, what I was trying to differentiate back, sir, is to the question that 
Amen. Any other comments? Any other comments? Verse 21. He says, but those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. That's why the Bible talks about us being, you know, lights to the, in darkness. You know, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And so therefore, people should see our good deeds. And then in that way, they will glorify our Father in heaven because all we're doing is reflecting the light that he has shined upon us to others so that they can see. Light, our light should illuminate other people's mind so they can understand how God would operate because we understand how Jesus operates. And by understanding how Jesus operates, we understand how God operates. So therefore, when people see us, they should be seeing the light of God in us. And so therefore, we should be drawing people to the light, not running them away from the light. And so now look at this. Then now Jesus kind of shifts real quick here. After he gets through with Nicodemus, it shifts back to John the Baptist. And this, this won't take long. I'm going to get through with this uh, in, in, in verse, 21, uh, verse 22. Now John comes back, and he comes back to exalt Jesus again. Now, he had already talked about who Jesus was and, 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 and made it, it's made it known that John, you know, acknowledged that Jesus, he, he was just one bearing witness of Jesus. But then now he have to come back and kind of reiterate that. He says, now, verse 22 says, Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem, and they went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. Now, later on in John, it's going to tell us Jesus baptized no one. It said his disciples were baptizing but it was baptizing them, you know, under his authority. At the same time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Arnon, near Salon, because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. Now, the next verse said, this was before John was thrown into prison. Well, later on, we're going to run up on that when John gets put into prison, you know, uh, for confronting, you know, Herod or one of those rulers, and then you know, John, who loved Jesus so much, you know, when he get ready to get his head cut off, he's going to say, you know, Jesus, are you the one? Uh, are we looking for another? 
Y'all going to get that later. But right now, John all on board with Jesus. He, he down with Jesus. So, so he's out there continuing what he was doing. His mission was to be the one who was going to reveal to the people that Jesus was coming. He was the one who was going before Jesus. He was the forerunner. He knew he wasn't the one. But sometimes when, when you are the forerunner, sometimes people can get it confused and think you ought to be the one. And he made it sure that he wasn't the one, but he, this was before he got put in prison. Now, look, he says in verse 29, a debate broke out between John's disciples, so John had some followers, and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. Now, in order to get to understand that, you have to kind of go back to the Old Testament. Man, the Jews had a ceremony for everything. You had a washing, a cleansing. You know, when we talked about on Sunday when they went to the you know, when Jesus went to the wedding, he had all the water that was there because they had these cleansing ceremonies. And because some of these ceremonies was not God-ordained cleansing ceremonies, the rabbis and, 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 and people added a lot of these ceremonies to the law. And so they became more important than what God said. And so now when John come along and said, Major, I'm just going to take you down to the river Anah and baptize you, and you're good to go. You're clean. These other dudes say, wait a minute. He can't get clean with just one baptism. We got all these other ceremonies he got to go through. We got all these other rituals. So they're arguing back and forth now. Hey, man, it got to be more to it. It got to be more to it than you just. It ain't no more to it than you confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you shall be. You ain't got to do no cartwheels. You ain't got to jump off a building and live through it. You can just confess with your mouth. And but some people make it, you got to do all, no, you ain't, you ain't. And when we start thinking we got to do all those things, then now we start equating our works to salvation. And our works don't save us. We work because we are saved. We do things in God's kingdom not to get saved, but we do it because we are saved. So this guy was thinking, hey, you got to do all these other things. You, in order, you just can't be that simple with major getting baptized, and then the Spirit of the Lord descending on them. it got to be more to it than this baptism that John's doing. And so they was arguing about that. Then I look at this in verse 26, and you're going to see in this verse 26, man, real close, man, boy, in the church, there can be them competitive spirits. I mean, I don't know where they come from, but God's folk just, it's hard sometimes to cooperate and just work together than compete with each other. Because look at what this. Now, John was the man. I mean, he was baptized. He baptized Jesus. Right. Now, look at this. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, they called John Rabbi because he was their teacher. That man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the uh, Jesus, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Well, if that's what God called him to do, he's doing his work, right. doing his assignment. All churches are not called to do the same thing at the same magnitude, the same scale. So I tell people, never compare what God has called you to do to what he's telling somebody else to do. Because what happens is you will have a tendency to always compare yourself to people who are less than you so that you can look good instead of comparing yourself to people who are better than you so that you can look like, hey, you got a lot of work to do. So that's why 
that you should not compare. You just be true to who God is calling you to be, walk in obedience to this word, and don't worry about what everybody else does. Because when you start doing things for the Lord from a competitive spirit, then it ain't going to be received. Because your heart is not right. Your heart is not into what you're doing. You're only doing it from, a wrong, from the wrong motivation. And sometimes we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And God is looking at our heart, our reasoning. Why are we doing this? Look what John, I like the way John played this off well, because he could have got caught up right there. Yeah, you're right, I baptized that dude. I'm the one baptized him. <laughs> now he got both folks following him to me. I, yeah, you're right. But John knew. John had to, Major, I like the way John talked to his followers, man. He broke it down to language that we all understand. Everybody understand weddings, don't you? There ain't but one groom. It ain't five grooms up there at one time. Even if it's ten dudes up there, in most cases, and I don't know what some countries go for how folks get married nowadays. In most cases, ain't but one groom. Ain't but one. You can have ten other dudes up there with you, but they ain't the man. And if everybody else looking at them, they're looking at the wrong person. And so John let his disciples know, hey, don't look at me. I ain't the dude. Even though I baptized him, I realize I am not him. Even though he's my cousin, I ain't the dude. Even though I'm older than him. John didn't let folks get inside of his head so he lost sight of who he was and who he was called to be. Now look at this, verse 27, John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it, gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. Then he says, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride. I didn't come to marry the church. He did. And for me to try to be the bridegroom, I'm get out of place. And I'm not going to let y'all blow my head up because I done baptized other people and I done baptized him, but hey, I hate the groom. Man. And see, sometimes when people get inside your head, they can blow you up to be something you ain't. You know, some of y'all work on some jobs, y'all folk come in there telling y'all all is crazy. You ain't the man. You ain't the woman. Amen. Some of y'all work out there on the base. You know, folks blow your head up and say, you ain't the boss. Amen. Amen. Because people can tell you, well, you, don't, you work harder than he do. You work long hours than she do. Okay. Brother Herb? And isn't that one of the things that you, uh, you, you know, you get, you get signed to doing God's will and know your purpose? I mean, God, I said again, I said, I said, doing God's will and you know your purpose. Amen. Amen. You stand on the ground of what God, you know, what's given to you and your purpose. And you want to get out of place with that. Amen. You got to know who you are. You got to know what you've been called to do. 
and, and, and you can only be the best you. And, and I tell people, don't try to imitate other folks, man, because you, you're not going to be a bad copy. You know, but you can be the best you that God's called you to be. And I think God accepts all our best. As long as we give him our best, I think he make that good enough for him. And so he says here, he says, he said, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride, the church, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vow. You know, we just got to, in the natural, Jesus is the star of the church. All of us preachers, male and female, we're just bridesmaids and bridesmen, groomsmen and all that. And we're just glad to be in his wedding. We ain't coming in to try to act like we him. And that's why I have a problem. You go to some churches, you, 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 they never say Jesus nowhere during the whole year. It's all about whoever's running the place, and Jesus is never mentioned. Then that means that, hey, that person thinks they're the bride's groom. Because ego can get in the way, and we can lose sight of who owned the church. Amen. He says, therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Man, I'm glad to see he baptized his folks over there, baptized all the way. I'm glad to see he got all those followers because that's what he came to do. He came to save the whole world. I didn't come to save the whole world. That's not my assignment. Now look at this, what John humbled himself. He said, now, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. I was here before him. My ministry started before him. I baptized him. But now that I know from the beginning who he really was and who he really is, then I cannot compete with him. I'm not here to compete with him. I am here to let others know who he is and not get it confused. He said, now, he has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. The preeminence of Jesus, making sure that John understood that Jesus was the greater one. And as long as we understand and give Jesus preeminence in our life, then we will not allow other things to, to outweigh him, to, out, out, you know, to rule, us, rule over us more than him. We will give him his proper place in our lives. He says, now, he testified about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Say, going back to the beginning, John, Jesus come to reveal to us what God is like. So he's telling us, when we understand Jesus, Jesus letting us know what God is like, what heaven is like, because he's telling us things that he has seen and heard. But he says, how few believe what he tells them. Talking about the Jews. He said, anyone who accepts his testimony as truth, can affirm that God is true. Because if you can believe Jesus, then you can believe that the things that God says is true because Jesus said, I am the truth. Amen. And he, he come to share that truth. And so when we understand that, man, you got to keep, I'm going to keep going back to that as we continue to finish up John. Jesus, John always going to bring us back to the point that Jesus is light Jesus is the word, and all those things are designed to reveal something to us about God. Verse 34 through 36, and I'm done. He says, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's word, for God gives him the spirit without limits. 
In other words, compared to the prophets, in the Old Testament, the Spirit did not dwell with men all the time. It came on them for certain things, and they were in power. But now he said, hey, Jesus got the Spirit all the time, and guess what? We're in a better position than the folk who are in the Old Testament because the indwelling Spirit in you, you got the Spirit. He says, the Father loves his Son and has put everything in his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anybody. Anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's angry judgment. So therefore, we no longer see ourselves as being condemned because we're in Christ. And that's why in Romans says, in him there is therefore no condemnation. So you don't, because you believe in God and, and Jesus Christ being his son, you don't have to wake up every morning arguing about heaven and hell. I mean, that's an argument you, man, look here. I ain't worried about hell. You want to talk about it, I ain't got a problem. But I ain't going there. Because I ain't condemned. I'm good to go. Now, I know, and I know when I was back in my Baptist day, them boys were so good, they said, look here, Fred, I know you're familiar with the doctrine. Once saved, always saved. You know, hey, look here, now that I got Jesus, I'm on board. Look here, I don't, it don't matter. I'm good to go forever. Now, some people believe that, well, maybe you can slip up out there and you may lose your salvation. Well, for Bolden. And for Fred. I think, Fred, you say you're good forever. I'm good forever. You know, I, ain't, I don't even have to talk about hell and discussion about hell. I'm, I'm good forever. I, I ain't crazy enough to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Even, even when I was a heathen, I didn't have the sense to talk bad about the Holy Spirit because I didn't know nothing about him. And now that I do know, I'm not going to blaspheme God's word, man. I, ain't going to happen. Brother Mike, and we we done. He that believe on him is not condemned. But he that believe not is already condemned. Because he does not believe in the only person of God. And then um, when you are saved, you are saved from the penalty of sin. So the penalty of sin is no longer on the believer. He is saved from the penalty. And you are saved from the power of sin, which means sin has no dominion over you as long as you live. So anytime we live in sin, we, we have a way of escape. We choose to sin. Sin has no power over us because we receive Jesus Christ and he says, Amen. Amen. And the greater one lives in us. Amen.